Hey y'all, it's Tip. Listen, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to tell you how my procrastination works in case it might help one of you too. You know, those of us who procrastinate sometimes suffer from perfectionism. And this week's episode is one where I wanted to redo and redo and redo. And if I had gotten caught up in the redoing, it wouldn't have been done. So there are some corrections I want to make. Make sure you check the show notes to see those corrections. But I'm going to go ahead and post an imperfect episode, at least in my eyes, um, because this is how I battle procrastination. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away till I'm tiptoed you. Hey, y'all. Hey, thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You, the podcast where I share with you all my musings about Black history, Black culture, and Black spirituality. Today, I, you know, I got a lot I want to talk about. It's hard for me to list it out. I think, um, though, I want to give the Black community a little tough love today. So that's just where we'll jump in. This is our first podcast of 2024, so let me start by saying I hope all of you are enjoying a beautiful and joyful new year. Um, we're only 20-something days into it, and if your new year has been anything like my new year, yeah, it's going to be some rocking and rolling for the good and for the be prepared. <laughs> so um, I'm just ready to, to, to do what I'm supposed to do this year. This year is the year of no more hiding. All right, we're going to shine. We're going to shine brightly. At the end of this episode, I'm going to share with you a free seven-day challenge I have going on on Instagram Live about that. Um, But let's be intentional about showing up as our best selves. You know, I told you today was going to be a day where I wanted to not not be hard on us, undeservingly so. But just to call our attention to some things I think we we got to tighten up around, particularly given all that's going on in the world, um, we can't afford to, to be lax and to be compliant um, and pliable. All right. So uh, I want to start off by sharing with you something that my mentor taught me. Baba Shuja talked a lot about power, right? Um I'm not going to think too much about him right now because then I'll get weepy. (laughs) So let's not do that. But in one of his classes, one of my favorite classes I took from Baba Shuja, Re-Africanization, we learned Wade Noble's definition of power. And I want to share it with you today um, because I think it, it, it informs a lot of what I'm saying today. So Wade Noble says that power is the ability to define reality and have other people believe that that version of reality is true. I'm going to say it again. Wade Nobles essentially asserted that power is the ability to define reality. Not just define it, though. Have other people buy into that version of reality, right? When we talk about the oppression, marginalization, exploitation, violence against Black folk, I think we have to understand those things Um, within a system of power. 
And if power is the ability to define reality, that's where I'm going to put my attention today, if that's all right with you. All right. So if we know that in order to assert a certain degree of power over our people, other people have to define our reality. And not only do they define our realities for us, they have us buy into those notions of reality. That's why black folk dealing with colorism today. Right. Because we were taught that if you were lighter, could approximate more to the people who put monetary value on your body, then then you were more beautiful. You were more intelligent. You were capable of more. And now today we still buy into that notion of reality because there are still fools like the Zeus Network putting out flyers where it's dark skin versus light skin. We still calling. Uh, fine, straight hair, good hair. You understand what I'm saying? That's buying into someone else's notion of reality and believing that that notion is real. That's like believing that the so-called Ivy League institutions somehow give you a better education than our HBCUs. That's buying into someone else's notion of reality. And that is what some people would call hegemony. So let me give you that definition. Hegemony is the ability to define reality in such a way that it's never questioned. Right. And John Dewey talks about all of this depends on language. All of it depends on language. So let me say this about the United States, uh, the global empire of the United States and the West. If you have not figured it out, it is driven by language and rhetoric. Marimba Ani writes about this a little bit in Urugu. She says that this is a nation of, of illusion, right? There's rhetoric that paints this beautiful picture, but the reality is much different, right? We live in the myth of meritocracy where people pretend like it's your hard work that will get you a, you know, ahead. That Elon Musk is somehow where he is because he's a brilliant genius when in reality it's because you come from a family that has exploited the labor of black folk, right? So we have to pay attention to not just the words that are used, but what the words may be um, hiding from us. So I want to go to uh, Dr. Claudine Gay. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because, y'all, I had to turn my comments off on. <laughs> now, I've had to turn my comments off on Facebook before because the trolls there uh, and Instagram before. They got out of control. But this was my first time having to turn off my comments on TikTok. When I tell you them right wing trolls was giving me the business, baby, because I talked about Dr. Claudine Gay and black women often face reality through increased scrutiny. Um, our abilities are always questioned, not only because of misogyny, but also misogynoir. Oh, baby, they let me have it. And I just turned the comments off because one, I hope you know, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. People on the Internet do not deserve your headspace unless you choose to give it to them. Right. So don't don't let nobody take you off your square. But anyway, I want us to think about Dr. Claudine Gay, not necessarily about um, her resignation. Um, we can have that conversation if y'all choose to have that conversation, like maybe on a live or something. Um, but right now, I just want to talk about the plagiarism accusations first. Um, number one. <laughs> Given what is going on on threads and other social media platforms right now, plagiarism runs rampant in U.S. culture. 
And if you didn't know that, ask Big Mama Thornton about Elvis Presley. Right? Uh, Culture vultures have always taken advantage of black folk, but have never really had to answer to plagiarism. Right? Lifting someone's whole ideas and presenting them as your own. Now, the right wing accused uh, Claudine Gay of this. What's interesting is Christopher Rufo, who who helped orchestrate this, this strategy against Harvard and what he thought, um, what he thinks, not thought, is a deliberate attack on DEI through Dr. Claudine Gay. Um, he tweeted about planting the seed about plagiarism, first in right wing um, circles, because he knew that their base would just grab onto it. Um, white supremacy depends on mediocre people who are uncomfortable about their mediocrity and would rather blame someone else for their mediocrity than to do the work to become excellent. All right. And Rufo knows that. And so the first seed was planted among right wingers who wanted a reason why Dr. Claudia Gay should not be president of Harvard. All right. They were looking for something to say, see, we told you she was not qualified. He planted it there first because he knew what would happen. But then he tweets about how he then planted it amongst liberal media because he knew that they would share the story for clicks. He also knew that none of this was really true. <laughs> Harvard had already done internal investigations. There were some misplaced citations. There were some citation errors. Now, I'll remind you that the document that they are uh, so-called concerned about is her dissertation, which, if you don't know, and a lot of people who were talking this shit do not understand that that means a committee signed off on it, right? She was a student when she wrote. That's what dissertation means. We're students when we write our dissertation. And they are reviewed by a committee of experts designated by the institution, and signed off on. So if there were errors in her dissertation, she was a student. Now, I, I said all that to not give credence to the story, but to describe to you how something that the institution, the experts in it, people who she was accused of, quote unquote, plagiarizing, all said this is not an issue of plagiarism. But because the term got put in the hands of the ignorant, it ran rampant and it, it no longer matters to most trolls, to most people needing the psychological comfort of saying, hey, see, I told you they're not that good. Once it got in their hands, it took off. And many of us were so busy trying to defend her against claims we knew weren't real. We didn't talk about, some of us didn't, because I, I, I happily saw a whole lot of scholars talking about what was real. She was being scapegoated, right? Um, but it played into a system that depends on, like, if you're going to attack DEI, that diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, you have to attack the idea that we are excellent. Right. And you, how do you do that? You do that through a claim of plagiarism, even if you know that it's not true, because now your opponent is so off put. They're responding to your misuse of language and not your strategy itself.
your base is so distracted by your misuse of language that they're not paying attention to the reality itself. Almost every troll who was on my TikTok post was saying the same thing. Yeah, but she copied and students can't copy. So she didn't deserve it. She only got the job because of it was like three major points and they just kept repeating them because that's all Rufo gave them to repeat. And so we were fighting ignorance. I'm going to remind you, as I do almost every episode, Toni Morrison says racism's real power is in distraction. We were distracted from, by the strategy. We knew she didn't. Put, listen, we, any black person in a professional environment knows you cannot become the president of Harvard University being raggedy. You can't. When Shuja taught us about Wade Noble's definition of power, he said how the strategy worked. He taught us how the strategy works. The strategy works because if I can shape what you believe is real, I can predict your reaction to it because I know how you're going to react. Right. Whole bunch of smart black people see a smart black woman getting attacked based on her academic publications, they can anticipate how we're going to attack to that because that's how we always react to it. They already know how we're going to react to that attack because that's what we do. They've already shown us what to do. And that, that, that's why Rufo is so arrogant. I put in my stories and one of my sister friends was like, I can't believe he's saying and he, he can say it because it works. Right. And those of us who see the tweet know it's going to work again. All he has to do is plant the seed because he knows what the reaction will be, both among his base and among us. And let's not talk about how U.S. culture in general is not a a culture of exploitation of intellectual property. Right now, you've got authors and artists having to fight huge tech giants about AI just skimming the internet and taking ideas without credit, right? And then then people who are trying to grow businesses, trying to do what they can, and all these social media coaches are telling them to use AI, they're out here mistakenly plagiarizing, lifting whole ideas, not knowing that the whole idea is lifted because it was lifted by technology. But y'all want to get rid of a woman for something? Listen, do you understand what I'm saying? We have been so distracted, we're not paying attention to the game. And and speaking of Dr. Claudine Gay, um, I was pleased to see black male scholars talk about their sisters in higher ed. But I I am I needed it right. So let me say that I needed to hear people. Black men in higher education talk about the increased scrutiny of black women, right? And how some of these institutions don't protect their black women. It felt good to know that there are black male scholars who would circle the wagons around us. But I understand I'm in a privileged place. I'm hearing those conversations. I'm seeing those posts because I am connected to an intellectual community. Now I wonder about black women who aren't in higher ed, who saw the Dr. Claudine Gay story 
and didn't get to see the black male response to that in the same ways. Community matters. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Now, I can't talk about Dr. Claudine Gay without also mentioning Dr. Antoinette, excuse me, Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, Dr. Bonnie, as she was known, at Lincoln University. I don't want to get too too far into the details of that case. I really don't. But I do want to say something about disunity. Sister was at a historically black college university. Being, according to reports, being bullied by the president, allegedly. Now, although I'm in those circles where I told you I could see the the circle, the wagon being circled around black women. The reports I'm reading say. She was not protected by black men at that school. That's a lot. Think, I want you to think about the time between her untimely passing and Dr. Claudine Gay's resignation, and then think about black women in higher ed dealing with hundreds of microaggressions a day, seeing those two very visible stories. When they say death by a thousand cuts, that's what it can look like. If we are unable to figure out as a community how to hold space for one another, how to protect one another, how to establish safe spaces for ourselves and for our learners, we're going to be shot to hell. There are too many black folk right now. Here's what I think our fatal flaw is. I think there are too many black folk who are performing excellence rather than being excellent. Too many black people performing excellence rather than being excellent. I'm talking about in higher ed. I'm talking about in business. I'm talking about in our relationships, in our friendships, in our parenthood, in our childhood. We are performing excellence rather than being excellent. Here's what that might look like. It might look like a prolific scholar who's got 50 million publications, 50 million academic conferences under their belt, and ain't done shit that the community can, can read and digest, nor done any workshops, nonprofit efforts, free classes, nothing, nothing for black folk. The performance of excellence rather than being excellent. People, people in, in I'm, I'm thinking about couples, right? Post all these loving pictures and, oh, we are vacationing and look at what my poo bought me and having arguments on the internet with strangers about your ring and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, he knock you upside your head when you get home at night. The performance of excellence rather than being excellent. Your child getting all A's and B's because they know how to follow the rule but come home and can't read a damn book. The performance of excellence. The college student on every student organization 
who shucks and jives for every professor to keep a B or an A, but can't do, sh- can't think they way out of a wet paper bag. That's the performance of excellence. I don't know what happened. I'm reading right now about the American Negro Academy. If you uh, haven't heard of it, just Google it. Just Google the American Negro Academy, um, the Niagara Movement. Hell, just study the, the founding of a lot of our HBCUs, particularly those started by the Methodist Church. Black folk have always seen education as liberatory. Not because we believe the the lie that if you get a good education, you can get a good job. I don't see the problem is that that rhetoric. See, this is what I was talking about with the rhetoric being the weapon. We used to tell our own children what education was, and we told them it was to get free. Post integration, other people had us telling our children, go to school, get a good job, go to school, get a good job, get a good job, get a good life. They had us repeating their rhetoric. Our children grew up in a world where they realized that that's a lie. And now they have no reason to pursue education for real because it, they know it doesn't lead to what it was promised to lead to. We left out the liberation piece. Ask, <laughs> y'all, ask a young person. One, if they want to go to college. And two, ask them why. And I'm going to put money on. Eight to nine times out of ten, they're going to tell you it's about a job or money. When I talk to young people about their majors and their why for, for college, I am disturbed by how many of them Do not talk about their passions. And they'll tell you that they're not talking about their passions. They're talking about what leads to money. That rhetoric did not come from inside of our communities. That rhetoric was adopted from outside of our community. And it has destroyed black intellectualism. Fight me if you disagree. No, if you disagree, send me an email. Let's talk about it on the next episode of the podcast. But Dr. Tip at tellemtiptoldyou.com is where you can send that. Listen, I have I am witnessing the death of, of black intellectualism. It's what got us where we are. And it doesn't have, listen, I tell my students all the time, schooling and education aren't the same. They're really not the same. You can go to school. I was just rolling my eyes about somebody on my social media feed bigging themselves up for having their doctorate for a year. But what have you done with it? You went to school. What did that do? I've been taught that education is about becoming a a meaningful, viable member of the community, meaning you work to make the, the community better. What the hell are you doing? So you can wear your fancy hat at graduation? Hang up your robe in the office to try to be fly. But but what does your lived ideology look like? Is it about freedom? Is it about equity? 
It is, is it about ending genocide? Is it about teaching the youth who they can be? Or is it about your publications? The next title? The next raise? The car you've been eyeing? What is it? The strategy of white supremacy does not change. It's about rhetoric. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's about rhetoric. And we fall into it all the time. And I'm worried. I went to a lecture one time given by um, Dr. Vanessa Siddle Walker, and she said, for the first time ever, black people don't have a plan. And I felt it when she said it, but that was about five or six years ago. When I tell you, I think it, I worry about it all day, every day now. Where's the plan? We fighting over who to vote for. We fighting over whether or not we should vote. We're fighting over diaspora wars. We fighting over whether somebody should go see Book of Clarence because dumbass people who haven't even seen it yet are telling you it's blasphemy. There's such anti-intellect. People won't think. People who went to see the Book of Clarence and can't get past the fact that it's written by a storyteller who knows how to shift the mood light right before he drops you low. And you talking about it can't figure out what kind of genre it is. That's not what is happening. Talk to someone in storytelling. Talk to someone in filmmaking about the strategies, the brilliant strategies that were used. Look, let me say this. If this ain't no commercial, I ain't getting no money, no kickback for it. The Book of Clarence is a black liberation story if I ever saw one. The best black liberation story I have ever seen. And some of y'all won't go see it. Because remember, power is the ability to define reality and have you believe it's real. So you won't go see it because some Christian, and I was doing air quotes then, I wish you could see it. Some Christian told you it's blasphemy. Some Christian who don't even know because they haven't seen it firsthand. They heard somebody else say it. Anti-intellectualism. Somebody saying that Taraji talking about the underpayment and, and devaluation of black women in higher ed is what destroyed the press circuit for the color purple. And that's why I anti-intellectualism, but also the manipulation of our attention and rhetoric. Because power is the ability to define reality and have other people believe it's real. You don't even have to know nothing about the book of Clarence. You didn't decide it because so-and-so evangelist told you, prophet blah, blah, blah told you it's blasphemous. And you don't know for yourself because you don't want to think. You want somebody else to give you ideas. You ain't read a book since Zane. I really didn't want to be here. Today. <laughs> I wanted to give you the heart, but I didn't want to be here. So, so let me let me do this. Anti-intellectualism. Misogynoir. Genocide. Civic trauma, threats to voting rights, economic insecurities, climate crises. It's a lot. It's a lot. And some of us are trying to carry it by ourselves. 
But I have said before, and I will always say that heavy is too heavy to carry alone. And I saw somebody on social media, I swear I wish I could remember who said it, said that healing happens in community. Black folk, African descendants, have always understood the importance of the collective. It's in our cultural ethos, right? Google black cultural ethos. We are a communal people. There's a West African proverb that says when you are born, you are born into a society. You're not by yourself. Traditional African religions, despite what the Internet will tell you, cannot be practiced in isolation. You got to have a crew. Heavy is too heavy to carry alone. You can't be in this by yourself, baby. We're not built to be in this by ourselves. You know, your brain seeks out group. Your brain seeks out group. Your spirit seeks out group. Don't isolate right now. You can be overwhelmed. Please don't isolate right now. Please. So I wanted to talk to y'all about um, the seven-day challenge I have coming up. But I think I dropped myself too low before I could take it. <laughs> the seven-day challenge will be done on Instagram starting on January 29th. Be, you know, our way of segueing into Black History Month. But given all the hits that we're taking, even this episode, my self-esteem, y'all, <laughs> but I think that's also one of the ways we we are attacked, right? The system uses our own. I, I was telling my students the other day, if you've seen my old live from a couple of years ago, you know, I hate for anyone to tell black folk to be humble. And I did it in class the other day. So let me say this to you now. If you don't know what the definition of, of humility or being humble is, it is to have a low estimation of oneself and worth. You ain't never supposed to be humble. But this world that we live in will try to convince black folk that the last thing you need to be is confident. This system depends on you thinking you are less capable than you are. This system, capitalism depends on you thinking you are less perfect than you are. So that you'll go buy supplements, you'll go buy makeup, you'll go buy waist trainers, you'll go get a gym membership you ain't never going to use. Now, I'm not saying either any of those things are not things to invest in. They, sh they probably are things. You it's about why you invest. If it's because you think you are less than what you are supposed to be, then there is a problem. Somebody then told you to be humble and you've believed it. So. I think that's one of the things facing black people right now. I want to do my small part and do a seven day free challenge on Instagram where I want to walk us through. And notice I'm saying us because I need this right now too. walk us through how to gain more confidence in this world, particularly given all that we're facing right now. So join me on Instagram in my stories starting January 29th, Monday. There'll be more details coming out about that in the email, in my email um, 
which one went out yesterday because you're listening to this Tuesday. One went out yesterday. I'm going to try to get back on that routine and schedule. Um, I think that's all I really wanted to talk about today. I hope it wasn't too heavy, but I hope I've given you some things to think about um, and that you seek out community right where you need to. If you need to reach out to me, do that too. Um, All right, y'all. Tell them to tell you. Make it a good one.